want to encourage you to grab your Bible with me, and I want you to turn to two places on two opposite ends of your Bible. If you put one finger in Exodus chapter 18, we'll be there towards the end of our time this morning, and then another finger in Acts chapter 2, we'll be there here shortly. I want to share with you a message in a vein similar to what I shared a number of months ago, but with some, some new insights, with some uh, broader insights for us on, on why in the world should connection communities matter. I mean, if I'm thinking about gathering in a group or a class, or I'm thinking about having a core of people that I do life with, why should I care about that? Who cares about it? I'm, I'm coming to church. What is the importance of this? I think that's a really good question. Sometimes if we don't ask good questions, we not only hurt ourselves, but we forget that there's someone around us who's asking another question as well. And it could be a blessing to them to find this answer. But to get at it, I think we need to see that this is completely opposite of what our culture teaches us. As Americans, we are absolutely addicted and we idolize independence. And independence in some things is okay. It's not bad to be able to tie your own shoe. It's not bad to be freed and independent of some kind of negative oversight. But when we begin to live to be on my own, sometimes some weird things can grow all over us. In America, we have a declaration of independence. And I am thankful and proud of our declaration of independence. And I believe this is a good and godly thing. But sometimes this attitude goes beyond just our freedoms But it goes into every preference and every other area of our life. We begin to adopt songs not only in our culture but in our hearts and our life. The lyric becomes more than just a song. It becomes a mantra. I've got to be me. I'll do it my way. I don't need anybody to tell me what is right. I know what is right. We honor figures like the Lone Ranger. We lift up those who can do it all by themselves. Even the Lone Ranger character had Tonto to help him out. But we don't always lift up the sidekick. We lift up the one who can do it on their own. We bought into a myth that says that the key to happiness is independence. And if I have relational independence, if I have this financial independence, independence in every area of my life then I can be completely happy. And yet year after year, as people become more independent, more isolated due to technology, though this communication, they can keep themselves at arm's length, it seems that depression and suicide attempts are higher and higher every year. Something isn't working. God says the key to happiness is not your independence, it's your interdependence. We need people around us. We belong to each other. We need this kind of community that God talks about in His Word in our life. And God wired us, created us this way. And to get at this good question of why should I even be concerned about this? Who cares about having little communities anyway? Isn't that just some kind of a program or a fad or something that that just Brady wants us to do or something like that? Friends, I want you to see the biblical foundations for connection communities like this. And this is a really important week. If you like to take notes, uh, pull out those yellow sheets. If you don't like to take notes, it's important for you. So here's what you get to do. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm too cool to take notes. Take it for me. That's your job. 
Because I believe that God wants to bring us back to these biblical principles, not because I said them, but because he said them. And so to help you in that, if that's your learning style, pull that out. If you learn best through your ears, then just listen up. But the first key thought is this. God himself is in community of sorts. He is in his essence in community Three persons in one in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Oh, Brady, that's just kind of cute. I mean, isn't that just a coincidence? Hey, friends, we are created in the image of God. He has created us like Himself. We are not Him. We are not God's. But we are created in His image. There are some things that He's passed on to us, good things that He has wired in us that we need to understand. This context of community is all the way at the core, at the very essence of God himself. So it's not surprising that from the beginning, God created us to be in community with one another. Listen to Genesis 2.18. Don't turn there. I'll read it to you, but listen to it. Genesis 2.18 says, it's not good for man to be alone. This is a scripture we often use in the context of studying marriage and, and the great blessing that God has brought to us in marriage. And that's an appropriate way to read that passage, but I think it's even broader than that. God was saying there is something wired in every man, wired in every woman, a desire, a need to have companionship, a need to have relationship with someone else. What makes this interesting to me, it strikes me even deeper, is that God said this, it wasn't good for man to be alone, before the fall. Sin had not entered into the world yet. And so this was this perfect relationship between God and man, and yet God still looked at Adam and said, this isn't good. I have created you. There's something in you to have relationship. Relationship with me, yes, but also relationship with each other. You see, community is deeply grounded in the nature of God. It flows from who God is because He is community. He creates community. It's His gift of Himself to us as humans. Therefore, the making of community, it shouldn't be regarded as an optional decision for Christians. It shouldn't be, I'm just going to choose this if I want to choose this as a Christian. No, it is a compelling, irrevocable necessity. It's a binding divine mandate. Those are strong words that God gives to us to be in community with other Christians, other people he's created. God himself is in community. He has created us to be in community with one another, but it goes even farther than that. It's all throughout Scripture. We see Jesus' ministry. It began, and he called 12 disciples to be his primary, his most important, his first and foremost, relational and ministry community. See, Jesus, he's fully God, fully man. He could do whatever he wanted to do. Why did he choose Twelve ragamuffin guys. Was Jesus short on power? Was he kind of needing some help because he didn't really have enough gusto to get it done? No. It wasn't so much to help Jesus as it was to help them and to model before us. And it was the vehicle that he chose to advance the mission, advance the very purpose for him to come. Scripture tells us Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He chose to do this first and foremost. The primary relational vehicle was in the context of community in the disciples that he chose. 
And we can see even in that 12, there's three. And in that three, there's even one who's close. So despite the challenging dynamics of this ragamuffin group of people, these disciples, going against all kinds of persecution and up against all kinds of odds, this group of Jesus followers launched small communities. In the birth of the church, there's these smaller communities that proclaim the gospel that changed the world forever. It's, it's all throughout Scripture. You can see evidence of, of God bringing His people together. When we look at the early church, we get a picture of these small communities of people who follow Jesus together. It's not this picture of people who, who met Jesus and would go away in the bush and live by themselves. Or they met Jesus and they had this proclamation of truth and they were isolated somehow. They were together and they would minister together and they would reach people together. There was a connectedness that took place in Scripture. It's wired in us as beings. The book of Acts shows this, especially Acts chapter 2. We're going to be there in just a minute, so if you don't have your finger in Acts chapter 2 yet, go ahead and find that in your Bible. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, gives us a great picture of the early church and these components of biblical community, which encompasses, in this verse we'll see, the temple courts when they gather corporately, and also house to house, they gather intimately in, in, in small gatherings. And these believers, they're engaging in life together. We're beginning to get an answer to this really, really good question. Who cares about connectional communities, classes or groups or stuff? Who cares? It's not really my cup of tea. God cares. He's kind of wired that way for community. He is wired that way. He's created you to be wired that way for community. And he's, he's called us to live in that. Well, I'm not much for programs. Neither is God. Now, hear me clearly. Programs are not evil. They're not bad. It's not a bad thing. But this is deeper than just a program. This is deeper than just some good idea or some kind of fellowship to offer. This is a way of life. And for the early church, it wasn't how they did church. It's how they were the church. I don't know if that sinks in. If it's something that I do, it's an add-on. I just kind of stick it. It's, it's, it's an option that I have. If it's something of, of what I am, who I am, how I live, it's a necessity. It's a necessity. You know what happens in our own lives when we confuse what's necessity and what is just like fringe? All kinds of problems. You begin to put something in your life and act like it's a necessity when it's really a fringe item. You create addictions and all kinds of problems and struggles and, and all kinds of hurts, habits, and hang-ups start coming out. But you begin to ignore something that really should be a vital part of how you live and you begin to have sickness and illness and pain and all kinds of suffering that come out. I mean, you can have whatever opinion you want, but if you think that breathing is just no big deal, you just kind of breathe whenever you want to, you'll last for about, I don't know, four, five, six minutes. It's how you were created to function. And what we're seeing here in the early church, they were created to do life together. And they spent time eating together, learning together, celebrating, proclaiming the good news together, supporting each other. In addition, not just this passage, you say, well, Brady, that's just one isolated thing that happened in the early church, and I think it was just for them, it's not for us. Really? There's 50 plus one another verses all throughout the New Testament. And for us to flush this out, it requires community to be present. For example, 
This community was a place where people were loved, where they forgave, where they bore each other's burdens, where they encouraged one another. They exhorted, they prayed, they equipped, they spoke truth in love, they confessed sin, they treated each other as precious members of the body of Christ. All these one another's required another. It required somebody else. See, God never intended for me or for you to live for him by myself. I think sometimes in this discussion or this thought process, is this is when we get these hypothetical situations that come in. Well, can't I be a Christian if I'm on some deserted island somewhere and there's no other person? Of course you can. Are you? And why? Why, why would you want to be in that situation? Well, if, if, if I was homebound and I was ill and I could never ever leave my house, could I be a Christian? Of course you can. Of course you can. But are you? The question is not so much out of a legalism what I have to do. It's a question out of I am created to do this. And as long as I can, I want to be a part of a body of believers where I can connect with one another. Well, that's what I'm doing in this room, Brady. Well, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. We are, kind of, halfway doing that. See, it's not possible for us to apply these one another references unless we are an intentional close relationships with each other. That's my question about how well we can do it in a large group gathering. Oh, there's great importance to meet like this. There's things that we do when we meet in the temple courts like this and corporately worship, but there's some things and intentional relationships that are close with one another where we are face-to-face with each other. That's very important. See, God calls us to love, not abstractly, in superficial ways, but specifically in deep, face-to-face, life-on-life, transformative ways. And that's difficult. It gets messy. In our modern culture, don't miss this, we see connection classes and connection groups, they're often viewed as merely a program or a fellowship ministry within the church. But for the New Testament church, it was a way of life. It was how they were the church, not what they did as the church. It was impossible for them to grow in the faith without the close relationship with each other. See, character change or discipleship takes place best in the context of community with other believers. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So that tells me that somebody is going somewhere. Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So I have to obey the commandments first before I teach it to someone else, but it involves this relationship. I am teaching someone. I'm in relationship with someone. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. This consumer mentality that runs rampant in our culture has permeated our understanding of Christian community even in the church. What do you mean? Well, we begin to focus on what we get out of church. It's easy to slip into. I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty. I'm just, it's a fact. Our culture tells us you deserve it. I had to pray about my attitude a little bit this morning because Comcast did not work the internet this weekend for three hours. I was not happy. I paid for the internet to work and it did not work. I deserve the internet working. 
Am I the only one who feels that way? And it's frustrating. And I want to say, what are you going to do to make me happy, Comcast? It's one thing in this consumeristic idea, and that's silly, that doesn't have much value. But friends, it can weave its way in every area of our life. What do you have for me, Pharaoh? I'm here. Bless me. Quickly. And the problem is, we all are looking for someone to give something to us, and in our effort to find something to be given to us, we pass everybody else who's doing this. We're going to practice this this morning. Put your hands out like this, because you're going to receive something, okay? Put your hands out. It's okay. You can do it. There's no snakes in Kool-Aid today. Nothing weird's going to happen. It's okay. Just put your hands out like this. Now, I want everybody to turn to your right, okay? You're going to turn this way. Turn to your right and receive something from someone else. Everybody do it. Turn, turn, turn. You just end up staring at someone in the back of someone's head. Now you can come back to the middle. Here's what I think happens sometimes. Once we get over the who cares about community, we fall into the, uh, I deserve you to give it to me, Joyce. So hurry up. I'm here. What do you have for me today? But the, the problem comes in is when I'm passing everybody else who's doing the same thing. And, boy, this place is not friendly. This place doesn't have anything to offer me. You bunch of losers. What? Here, here's what happens. You see, I, I think Jesus is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're, now you're misunderstanding. Now you're beginning to see that you think connecting with other people is important, but it's not so you get what you want. It's so you can be a disciple. And when I'm a disciple, I become like Jesus. And Jesus' pattern of life was not getting everything he wanted. It was giving himself away. And so it's not, give it to me, Joyce, Pharaoh, hurry up, Rex, somebody give it to me. It's, what can I give in the context of this community? And it begins to change. See, we begin to see we need each other to know the truth about who God is and who we are. And, and if we don't know who God is and who we are, weird things happen in our life. But as, as in the context of community, as iron sharpens iron, we have these relationships that help us see God better and see ourselves better. So what should I expect from you? I should expect that you help me see God better and see myself better. I shouldn't expect that you rub my feet, that you feed me, that you do all these things. It's a, it's a growing in Jesus together. See, it's in groups or classes that people can get close enough to know each other. Now, this is my challenge. If, if there was only like 15 of us in this room, then we may be able to do it at the same time. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with having 15 in the room. That, that's great. But we want to reach, as long as there's someone in Fort Wayne who doesn't know Jesus, we're too small. So we want to keep reaching more people in a gathering like this, and we need a corporate gathering like this. But the, the more we grow like this, you're going to need a group of people to be a part of this. Now, this is not a newfangled idea. We see this all throughout the New Testament. We see it all throughout our, our church history. John Wesley, a founding father for us in, in Methodism, he, he pulled together what he called these prayer bands, these classes or groups. They, didn't, they weren't smart enough to call it Sunday school yet. They called it bands. They didn't have guitars and keyboards. It was just the gathering of people that would get together. And they were so important to him, I couldn't believe this when I read it. I had to check it twice. I'm like, that can't be true. And, 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 and this is true. If you wanted to come to church like this with John Wesley, you had to get a ticket in your group or class, his prayer band. No ticket, no church. How rude. 
How close-minded. How unevangelistic. How, how not aware of seekers' needs. Wesley was so aware of the needs of his culture. He said, I, I got to give you what you need more than maybe what you want. And what you need is discipleship, life transformation. It happens best face to face. Come together corporately. We'll be equipped. We'll grow together. Get in something smaller. I don't care what you call it. Wesley doesn't care what you, I think he did care what you called it. But I don't care what you call it. The class, the group, a ministry team, the format is not that perfectly important to me, but we need something where we come face-to-face and say, I don't want to just do church, I want to be church. Personal growth does not happen in isolation. It's a result of interactive relationships. It's key for us in discipleship. We live increasingly in a fragmented and disconnected world. Though social media and other technology have made our world seem more connected, fewer people have genuine relationships. You can find out right now by updates on your Facebook, on your phone, more about other people than maybe you ever could have in all of history. But it does not mean you have any deeper relationship. I'm not saying it's bad to use Facebook. I I use it often. But don't let that be your friendship circle. A friend request on Facebook, a follower on Twitter, means absolutely nothing in a genuine face-to-face relationship and spurring you on. They can be tiny little nuggets, but not what God has called you to have in your life. John Ortberg writes, God uses people to form people. That's why what happens between you and another person is never merely human-to-human interaction. The Spirit longs to powerfully be at work in every encounter you have in every relationship. I guess another way to get over this idea that it's to feed me, feed me, I had an opportunity when I was in high school to go to a a youth camp called Tanakuk. And when I went to this youth Christian youth camp called Tanakuk, they had some weird rules there. And one of them was when you come into this camp... You could not ever put food on your plate. I was there for, I think, seven or ten days. Never once could I put food on my plate. For high school boys, this is a very bad thing. I didn't think I was going to survive. How in the world could you do this? And so you quickly adapt. And so what you found was what was within the rules is you could put food on anybody else's plate you wanted to. So whenever you're hungry, here's what you would do. Hey, Travis, do you you want some pizza? Carrie, would you like some mashed potatoes? No, no. Oh, we're not getting hit. Would, would, would you like some roast beef? No, you don't want roast beef. Okay. The more you offer food to someone else, pretty soon they go, oh, I'm fine, but would you like something? These camp counselors were trying to ingrain in, in the selfish high school boys that instead of asking what I need for me, something happens when I begin to offer for someone else pretty soon. I am getting fed. I am getting offer, offers. And it creates a culture where I'm concerned about the person next to me. That's what we find in Acts chapter 2. Take your Bible and look at Acts 2.41. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Acts 2.44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. 
and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Oh my goodness, we could chew on that passage for like two months. I want you to just take two quick things out of there. There was a time for them to gather in the temple courts, and there was a time to gather in their homes. And I'm not talking about that location, but I'm saying there's times when we gather corporately, and there's times that we gather in a smaller area that is important for us. See, outside of a biblical functioning community, people will not reach their full redemptive potential. This isn't an add-on or a program or some kind of fellowship opportunity. It's essential to accomplish what Jesus said we need to do to make a disciple. See, God never intended for this gift of life to be lived alone. He, he called us to live it in the context with others. And we can see all these one another scriptures, and another time I'll take you through that. But as we come to a conclusion, as we land the plane today, that may tell us why we should be concerned about it. But what about some of the mechanics of how? Scripture even talks to us about this. This isn't even just a New Testament thing. This is all throughout the Old Testament. Now, take your Bible and turn to Exodus 18. We're going to get some wisdom from in-laws today. If you have your in-laws in the room, raise your... No, that could get us in trouble. I don't know why our culture sometimes, we're not so sure we want to get wisdom from in-laws. I don't know where we get that. I think it can be a good place, but that's what's happening here. Moses is going to get some input, some wisdom from his father-in-law. Exodus 18, verse 9. Jethro is his name. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 11. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses, Moses' father-in-law, in the presence of God. Verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. This is when it gets good. When his father-in-law saw that Moses was doing all this for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people sit around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them on what God's decrees and his instructions are. Moses' father-in-law replied with wonderful grace, What you're doing is not good. Kind of fun to hear from your in-law. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God. Bring their disputes to Him. Teach them His decrees and instructions and show them the way that they are to live and how they are to behave. Be selective. Excuse me. But select capable men from all the people. Men who fear God. Trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. And appoint them as Officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter, because they will share it with you. If you do this, God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all the people will go home and be satisfied. The next few verses say that Moses did what was suggested to him, and God blessed them. Here's what I want us to catch in a couple 
closing moments. I'm going to speed up my talker, speed up your listener with me. See, it, it took a lot of courage for Moses to lead people out of Egypt, but his mission was not complete until he got Egypt out of the people. It's one thing for Moses to get them out of the land of captivity, of slavery, but if they still had the mindset of slavery and captivity in them, his mission was not complete. And so they had all kinds of disputes and they had all kinds of needs to know what God would say in their life and what the laws of God would be and how they could live those out. And and, and the, the model was everybody come to Moses and he will tell you what God is saying in your life. And he had to complete the mission to help get the Egypt out of the people. But Jethro says to Moses, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourself out. And that's interesting to me. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Wear yourselves out. It makes sense that it would be hard for the leader. It would be hard for Moses to do all these scores and scores of people. But that's not the heart of what Jethro was seeing was a problem. Yeah, it would wear Moses out. He says it's going to wear the people out. Now this is key. Why would it wear the people out? They're waiting in line all day from morning and evening to have someone speak into their life. They're wasting their life for that one person who they're convinced is the only person who can help them journey in life. And they're going to spend all day morning and evening waiting in line. And they're worn out. Friend, I love gathering like this. This is important. Preaching is important. I'm created to preach, pray, and build teams of people. This is important stuff for me. But if you are waiting in line all week long to come in and hear something from me and to take it and say, well, this is how it's going to be. You're going to wear yourself out. You need somebody to journey with Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all week long. And it's not just about you need somebody. If you are a Christian, you're a carrier of the Great Commission, and you need to pass it on to someone else. See, friends, our goal is very specific. Our goal is not to draw a following that results in a crowd. Our goal is to develop a people who become a movement. Now we can say that, I want to make sure that we know what it means. If our goal is to draw a following that draws a crowd, we can do all kinds of things just to pack the room out with people. But our goal is is to develop a people who become a movement. Our our target is to, to develop a disciple who becomes more like Jesus. So in rapid fire, here's what Jethro was saying. He's unpacking this principle here for him. First, be close to God. You are a representative of God. You cannot help anybody else until you have God in you, fresh, new. Out of our core values, we evangelize, we reach people out of the fresh overflow of what the Holy Spirit's doing in our life. Don't pass on your crusty manna to someone else. Share the fresh manna that God has given you. The cool part is you don't have to create the manna. It's available. But So we'll just kind of start there. If you're a Christian, you have fresh manna, you're a carrier of the Great Commission. I'm a Christian, so therefore this applies to me, but you are as well. It applies to you. Equip the people around you. We may talk on that in a couple of weeks. Model to them the way to live and to give. Who's around you in your circle of influence that you are helping them see what it looks like to live out Christ? Maybe God's call for you today is not to get into a class or a group for what you can get, 
Maybe it's for what you can give. Maybe it's because God is longing for you to pour into another person. You see some things that happen. He enlists men then. And after he enlists them, he appoints them and anoints them. And he organizes them. That's rapid fire. Three was model to them the way to live and to give. Four was to enlist them. Five is to appoint and anoint them. And six is to organize them. If you have a personality that has to get all the blanks, I'll give them to you for $17 an answer after service. I'll help you on that. But those of you who have more freedom than, than me, here's the nutshell. The back two pages that you have, we're not going to go through that, but you've seen it in the bulletin just about every week, the last couple weeks. Friends, this is key to our mission. Our mission is not made up unique for Grace Point. Every Bible-believing church has the same mission. We phrase it like this, to make Christ-like disciples across the street, across town and around the world, fulfilling the great commission in the spirit of the great commandments. As we love God and love others, this begins to happen. And, and this looks very specific in our mind's eye, not because of a program, not because of a fad, but because of what we just talked about, this next part of what a vision could be. What, what would it look like if there's hundreds of, not three, hundreds of Christ-like connection communities. What is that? Is that a small group? Maybe. Is it a, a Sunday school class? Yes. Is it the group of guys that I pray with every Friday morning? It could be. If they decide to be. Could it be portions of the choir? It, it sure could be. Could it be the children's ministry team that I work on? It sure could be. There's some things that are common together in that. We're, no one's trying to force you in a particular mold, but friend... If you celebrate God with us like this in this room, you're only getting half of who God has called us to be. A community where we can connect with someone else. Now, I guess I need to say this to be real clear. If you say, I will not do that, my response is, I love you and you're welcome. Stay. Don't run away. I love you and you're welcome. But because I love you and because you're welcome, you're going to get mad. It's okay. I'm going to love you when you get mad. Here's why. Nobody wants to wait in line all day long when you desperately need community now. Nobody wants to. And and, and it requires us to stop doing this so much and to start saying, who can I I give to? A, A system, a span of care where everybody's cared for but not one person cares for too many. Not because we're so concerned about the leader wearing them out, because it'll wear you out. God has called you, created you to be in the context of community. Oh, that's good stuff. I'm going to ask the Lord to help germinate that in our heart. Father, I thank you from the very beginning, Father, that you loved us so much that you sent your Son to die for us Not because it's what we were asking for, but because it's what we needed. Father, I can't imagine how you felt when you sent your one and only Son, your precious, most valuable Son, to earth. He wasn't even received in his hometown. He was rejected. And while crowds gathered around, they gathered to kick tires and they would quickly turn and go away. 
but you began to plant in Jesus the gospel seeds that radically changed a few disciples who had very little to offer, but you had everything to offer. And through them, you passed on your great news that changed the world. Father, would you take those principles of community, of biblical community, of relationships, close relationships where we get face-to-face with each other, and would you begin to talk to us about what that means for us? Lord, I pray for my brother and sister today that they want to move in steps of obedience that they feel you're calling them to. Would you help them find a class or a group maybe here at Grace Point? It's not the only place that offers these. Or they can engage. Lord, maybe help them to have boldness to reach across the aisle today and say, hey, I don't have lunch plans. Do you? Let, let's, let's talk. Lord, would you begin to remind us that this is not easy, but it is so rewarding to do this gift that you've given to us we call life with the people you have gifted us in, in the body of Christ. It's in your name I pray. Amen and amen. Today is a message in which I categorize as one of those that just primes the pump. It doesn't water everything that needs to be watered. And so I want to encourage you today. If you'd like more information this week on how to take some action steps on finding a group or a class or a prayer gathering you could be a part of to help in this, would you either write on a white card and give it to one of the ushers that you're interested in that or call into the church office or email in? We'd love to partner with you. Now, if you're expecting just the office to meet those needs, we're going to help you, but sometimes the line gets long. What we'd rather do is help you today and then help you find a community you can be a part of on a regular basis. Would you stand with me? My prayer for you today is that you'll take this temple court gathering and let it spur you on to go meet house to house somewhere with somebody this week. May God bless you.